Hi lovely, welcome to Bloom Best Stories. Thank you so much for joining me. My name is Kate, I'm a passionate mama of three and a doula and I absolutely adore listening to women share their sacred birth stories. This is a loving space just for that. Each week I'll be chatting to women across Australia as they share their unique, very special journey to baby. This week I'm chatting with the lovely Natasha who beautifully shares her pregnancy and birth. She also shares her history fainting with pain and all the work she had to do to change the narrative and the story so she could pursue an unmedicated birth with confidence. I've listened to a lot of birth stories in my time and this has to be one of my favourites. I'm sure you'll love listening along as well. Beautiful, Natasha. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm really excited to hear your birth. (laughs) Hi. Um, (laughs) Would you like to introduce yourself and your family before we jump in? Sure. My name is Natasha Lapos. I am a full-spectrum doula and I have a 22-month-old little toddler named Aurelia. And we actually just moved to Tasmania. So I'm Canadian, married to an Australian, and he brought me all the way here. Um, but it's been gorgeous. And we're just, we've just been here for like seven months now. And I absolutely love it. Yeah, it's such a beautiful part of Australia down there. <laughs> mm. So let's take it back to the beginning. Your conception, was that a big journey for you? Oh, wow. So, I mean, (laughs) that whole thing, my conception came as a very big surprise. I actually was living in Shanghai for six years. And um, that's where I met my partner, Kurt. And actually, uh, (laughs) it just, yeah, we, we got pregnant five months after meeting each other. So we meet, immediately know that, you know, we've found our person and we were very upfront about the type of relationship we wanted but to be honest uh, a baby wasn't on the cards for at least you know two years we would be together and travel a little bit this is pre-covid and um we meet he ends up traveling down south in china for work so we for the four months of our relationship, we were actually in a long distance relationship while I was living in Shanghai. And that was in, that's when COVID hit Shanghai before the rest of the world. And we were separated and then finally reunited. And we were together for only a month. And then we conceived our daughter, which came as a beautiful surprise. Um, But through that, we can talk about the pregnancy. It just it really was, you know, a dark night of the soul for me in the sense that so much came up in the transition from maiden to mother. Um, it was so illuminating in, in many ways of the identities and the attachments that I held to different parts of myself. And I felt like I was walking through the fire in my pregnancy, not to mention that I was sick for, I would say, eight months out of it, um, which was just like survival mode at that point. Wow. (laughs) Plus navigating a relatively 
new relationship going through that together. Wow, what an initiation for you both. Yeah, it was really big. And I mean, you know, a lot of fear came up when we first initially um, found out. But it was just a matter of control around like, okay, I know I want to have babies with you. Um, It was a matter of timing. And it was like, well, I didn't, I imagined myself consciously conceiving and I had to let go of the way I thought it was going to be. And it was a mourning in a sense of that, you know, calling in, but she was ready. And that's also really magical that she took her first step in she saw her her path and she just like jumped right in when she could so that's really special and she I can feel that big energy from her um but there was yeah there was a lot of mourning and it was really big for our relationship and you know in the two years that we've been together now it's been big every single Mm -hmm. every single chapter because we've moved around the world so far Mm, wow and were your plan was your plan to sorry um birth in shanghai okay yeah so we'll go into the pregnancy a little bit more um i kind of just skipped over that yeah so um yeah it was the plan i was on i was with a medical provider there an ob in shanghai and i would say that my pregnancy was quite medicalized um in the way that Shanghai goes about it. I even feel compared to Australia and compared to Canada, although it is quite medicalized in both those countries, um, they provide way more scans and they, you know, they do all the testing, but just the scans that I had, I had quite a few. And at the time, um, this was pre-doula training and all of that and really knowing anything about birth. Um, It felt right, but at the same time, all throughout the journey, I kept telling my OB, like, there's something in me that wants to pursue an unmedicated birth. And the backstory here um, is that my whole life, I never thought that I could have an unmedicated birth. I, you know, we have this narrative in society that there's just so much fear around birth and it's something that is not ours to take or embody or really just like feel joy in. It's really just like, especially in my family and my circles of life, it was just something that happened to you and you show up to the doctor and like it's out of your hands type thing. So this was the narrative that I held around birth. Um, but something had sparked when I was in my late 20s. And I started to see and witness like people on Instagram sharing stories of like joyful and empowered births. And it awoke something in me that, you know, obviously I wanted to lean into. And I was like, wait, this could be different. This this could be you know, I could feel powerful during all of this. And that started, that was the fire. That was the little flame that um, drove me to pursue an unmedicated birth. Now at 36 weeks pregnant, after being under the care of this OB, I decided 
that I needed to go to, to, to Montreal, where I'm from, and be around family and birth in Canada. And I flew at 36 weeks pregnant, which is pretty much the the last <laughs> we end like the last time that you can fly. I think it's 37 weeks is like the deadline. Mm. Um, and I flew in the middle of COVID, like Canada was still fully on lockdown. And I had already hired a doula in Canada. Um, and she was with us a little bit throughout that pregnancy. And she was telling me like, it's like, if you want to birth at a birth center, which was what I was pursuing because um, I didn't want to birth in a hospital um, because of my own stories around it, um, which we'll get into later, but, and I couldn't birth at home because it was my family's home. Um, so the birth center was the best option. And to do that, I would need a midwife. And now in Canada, in Montreal, there's a crazy shortage of midwives. You can't hire a private midwife. It's, you know, you go through Medicare and you have to basically get one at like two weeks pregnant to be able to have one. And by some beautiful alignment, you know, after people telling me like, it's near impossible to get one, I was able to get a midwife at 37 weeks pregnant. And so then I would have been able to birth at the birth center. Wow. Was that just the biggest relay for you? Oh my, yeah, that was just beautiful alignment and just the nudge that I was on the right path, you know, like it just, mm. it flowed beautifully and it, I didn't really have to try so hard or battle it out. It just, it was just that nod from the universe, like, yes, you're doing the right thing. This is where you're supposed to be. Mm. Wow. And would you like to share a little bit about your uh, own history and perhaps your medical background, your feelings and your history with pain? Yes. Okay. So this is such a big one. And I feel like it just ties into everything I was talking about with the narrative. So on, on, on top of having a narrative around birth that I feel so many have, I also had a narrative of my own body and my my own like pain threshold. So I have a condition called vasovagal syncope. And throughout my pregnancy, let me just backtrack here because <laughs> actually I didn't know the name of this condition until I was pregnant. So my whole life, I would faint with pain. And that's what this condition is, is either a trigger, like a physical trigger or the sight of blood or needles. A lot of people tend to have needles as a trigger where it would cause them to lose consciousness. Basically like the blood shoots right out of our brain and then we just will faint. And I fainted over a hundred times in my life. And I just grew up with that. You know, my mom had it and I would witness her just like passing out. And it was just something that was normal. So it wasn't even something that like my family was like, our daughter is passing out. We should probably take her to the doctor. It was something that happened to my mom. So it was just like, oh, okay. She has it too. Or this happens to her too. So it was normalized. And then 
it was a story that was attached to me within my whole family as, as Natasha cannot handle pain. Um, and this is a story I held my whole life. So you can imagine that when I found out I was pregnant, it resurfaced a level of trauma that I didn't even know was there because it was just something that I laughed about. Like, yeah, it was, it's really scary to lose consciousness. I hate it. It's one of the worst feelings. Um, I haven't done it in many years because I'm breathing through it better and I'm able to manage it. But it was something that I laughed off a little bit. So when I fell pregnant, all of a sudden it became much more serious and just trauma was, was coming up and this deep fear of, you know, can I handle this? Can my body handle this? After years of being betrayed by my body, I didn't trust it. And one of the things, I mean, as we know, is that we have to trust our bodies to birth. And that was the huge, it was like, I was reading all these things and like trying to prepare for an unmedicated birth. And I was like, trust birth, trust your body to do it. And I was like, it revealed to me that I don't trust my body at all. Mm -hmm. um, I've felt, yeah, I've felt betrayed by it. So like I said, that dark night of the soul, everything had surfaced um, and it was hard. I, I spent a lot of my pregnancy as do many, but <laughs> crying a lot because of that. Um, and just, yeah, just feeling years of something that I stored away and this disbelief in myself. Um, and this, yeah, the, this deep, deep fear of pain and of birth had revealed itself. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And just out of interest, what are some things in your past that you have fainted from? Um, so I have fainted from like I, a sunbed had fallen on my finger and, you know, and it like falls down and which actually really hurts. And I like just get up and I faint. I've fainted in different situations that mm. are a little X-rated. <laughs> 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 I yeah I swear it's <laughs> let's go there like that that's ha that's happened so when I say like in every situation you can imagine there that's one of them yeah. um just I think the first time I ever fainted um it was after receiving a needle like a, a vaccine at school so that was like really traumatizing I, I remember the first time that I fainted and I woke up just screaming my head off because I didn't know what happened I was about five years old and so a needle would have done it um just hitting my elbow one time <laughs> one time the last time that I fainted actually I was in Shanghai and I was living alone and it was from a period cramp so <sighs> again like I'm reading and in my pregnancy, I'm frantically looking for stories of people who have this condition, who were able, and that's where I gave it the name that I found out what exactly it was and who've had an unmedicated birth and I couldn't find anything. And I found this like random forum and it was like, don't worry, it's like period pains, so you can do it. And I was like, no, 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 but I fainted from a period pain. Like, <laughs> like stuff like that, you know, so yeah um 
just obviously being clumsy sometimes I've fallen hit my elbow and then I pass out it just it's too much for my body to handle and therefore my response is to just lose consciousness yeah do you think as you were growing up and this was becoming more common then you would have anxiety around that um I definitely would have anxiety like I'd feel it happening oh yeah another time is like I broke my toe and I could feel it happening and I could feel the darkness it literally you know you you go all dark and sometimes you know I'd lose my hearing and I'd lose my eyesight first but I'd still be conscious so as a kid trying to figure that out and not understanding exactly like not knowing like you said um, what this is, it definitely gave me anxiety. It was the worst feeling. And, and I wasn't ever spoken to, but yeah, sorry. Yeah. Um, sorry. And obviously like quite dangerous as well. Did you ever get any serious injuries from passing out? Um, my, like just having, you know, a bit of a headache if I hit my head or something, but, um, mm. actually, no, I would, and to me, it would feel as though I fainted for ever. I thought I died every single time. So I think that was the anxiety and the trauma was that as a child, I thought I would die every single time. And I would almost replay the incident of my death in my head um, while I was passed out. So oh you can imagine that's pretty heavy for like a, eight-year-old kid to be trying to understand and go through but um yeah it was I I can't imagine the level of trauma even if I wasn't able to conceptualize it how much it would just stored inside me that anxiety mm. you know yeah and all of this resurfacing resurfacing um as you conceived and through your pregnancy what did you have to do to like make peace with that what was the kind of work you were doing mm, um well that's the thing I was trying to mentally do everything I was trying to biohack at one point in my pregnancy trying to biohack um how I could prevent myself from fainting so I was like okay let me understand this okay Actually, the reason that I faint is because my nervous system goes into a parasympathetic state, but this, you know, to be birthing and to allow oxytocin to flow, I need to be in that state. Oh my God, like, how am I going to be in that same state and not want to faint, you know? So I was trying to study my actual states, my nervous system, and compare that to what I would need in birth. And then I was trying to think of like, okay my head always needs to be level with my heart so that I'm not, you know, losing that blood. And none of that worked. Let me just tell you, that was just mm -hmm. my mind trying to control it. And what happened was um, I just allowed it to burn. Like I, I went through the motions mainly and I allowed everything to surface. So I felt it all. I, was in the shadows for a long time um, where it was a bit of a dark period. Like I feel that was really hard for me actually to move through my pregnancy because I was looking at other women and I was comparing myself and it was not the pregnancy that I thought it would have. I thought I would be vibrant and glowing and want to drink green juice all day. And actually I was 
in a cave like of darkness and eating carbs all day and just <laughs> crying and feeling quite dark inside of me but because I was allowing everything to be felt again mm. um and obviously the, the levels of comparison that we have in society now of like how you thought it would be and all that stuff that's a whole other thing but I definitely allowed the trauma to surface uh which was really hard the next thing I'd say was the part of the the brain that came in was learning about physiological birth and that I feel like should be a staple and anyone you know planning to conceive or who's currently pregnant um whether you're with a midwife or an OB understanding physiological birth was huge for me um just the hormones that are flowing and how they're working for you uh was really big and then also understanding the difference of pain now I would hear about this and I would be like, okay, the pain is not the same. So I'd be reading about this and it's only now that I've walked through it and I've experienced it myself that I am preaching. It is not the same. So when I'm stubbing my toe or hurting my elbow, this is my body telling me that something wrong has happened. Something is wrong. Like it's an alarm that goes off. Like you may have broken your toe or, you know, signaling, right? Um, whereas when you feel the sensation of birth, pain, however you want to call it, a surge, it's actually something that's working. Um, your surges are working and they're working really hard to bring your baby to earth. So that rewiring and that rewriting of that narrative around pain was really big for me. Um, just understand that it was different. Mm, yeah, you, you speak my language and I second that when you speak of physiological childbirth that I've done a course in that and the learnings of that and it just all landed and made so much sense to me. Um, it's really powerful and I think um, just as you said that all women should have a great understanding of that through pregnancy so they have that understanding and go into birth knowing <laughs> that your baby and your body are working together and what's actually occurring within. Mm, exactly. And I feel like intuitively we would know when something feels off. I feel like we don't give ourselves enough credit to know that, you know, and mm. That's also through a, through history of not being believed and all that stuff. Like, let's not go into that. But like, I I also knew that, okay, now coming out of it, like I would have known and there was always space for me to choose otherwise if I felt something was wrong. And I think our bodies are so good at signaling that, you know? Mm. So yeah, that was really big in terms of rewriting that. And then- it really came down to my why. And this is what held me. So I had the basis of the understanding and the education of physiological birth. I understood, I dove deep into my relationship with pain and how it's not the same with birth. And next I 
had to harness my why because this is it came up throughout the whole birth and I think it comes up through life it was like there was a point in my birth when I was like why am I um why am I doing this why why don't I just numb the pain why am I enduring this there's easily something that can take this away and there's nothing wrong with getting pain relief but it brought me back to my why and that is what was really important to me um so I feel like at the base of you know everyone pursuing an an unmedicated birth there usually is a why and It might be a reclamation, a freedom, an empowerment, maybe just experiencing a different birth experience, you know, Um, and not to say that there's, again, that there's anything wrong with pain relief. But for me, the why and what would come on the other side of pursuing an unmedicated birth, I knew it was just going to be so healing for me to do that for myself. Um, And my why was rewriting my narrative of myself, of my power, regaining trust in my body and just being actually amazed at my body and what it can do. Um, And I think you can have that amazement, you know, in any um, birth experience. But for me, it was really just after years of not thinking I can do this to finally be able to do it and to push through it and to sit in those flames of birth, which um, my birth was quite long. And I I think I had, well, I had prodromal labor, labor, sorry, for two, three days before I actually went um, into full labor into active labor and I actually went into active labor on December 31st and my daughter was born on January 1st she's a new year's baby Mm. so um that's how we spent one of our new year's eves and it was very um intense I had back labor she was posterior um and I feel like I met every edge of myself and more. Um, and there was always space with my partner. Our doula wasn't allowed at the birth center with the COVID lockdown. So we were the only ones at the birth center. Our midwife was really hands off, which was great um, for us because it was just me and my partner. And we, I needed I needed counter pressure on every single contraction, every surge that came up. I needed my back to be just like fully pressed on um, to just go through that uh, posterior labor birth. Um, And yeah, it was, it was quite intense. And with us, there was always space to allow for me to choose otherwise, if ever I felt I needed it. It wasn't, you know, I need to stick to this. I need to have an unmedicated birth. That's the only way. There was never that hardness around it and that tightness around it. Um, I had a vision and that's what I wanted. And I had a partner who supported that vision and who 
was not fearful of birth himself. And I think that was really big because had I been in a space with someone who was fearful, um, those stagnant little fears would have surfaced again because it is like it it's hard to clear all that trauma you know so I think they might have just like crept up on it and there was a point there was a point in that birth where I just couldn't see the end and I was like why am I doing this you know like why am I enduring this maybe I should just go go to go transfer to the hospital and just just do that, you know, and it was a conversation we all had, but by the time my midwife could answer me, I'd fall asleep. So I was like, I was three nights without sleep. So I was just like falling asleep between every single contraction. And, you know, my, my partner just looked at me and said, like, you can do this. You got this. And it was just not seeing the end of the tunnel at that point. Um, and I just needed that, you know, he was my doula there and I just needed that little words of encouragement and I would just fall asleep in between every surge. So I couldn't even stay awake to like make a decision if I wanted to transfer. <laughs> um, but I just flowed through it and I held on to that why of how many times have I tried to numb myself in a way and whenever I felt like I could not endure or it just became so uncomfortable or I couldn't see the light at the end of the tunnel in like any season of my life, right? How many times have I also wanted to just distract it away or take it away? Could I sit with it a little bit longer? And so I did. I just, it became this lesson of just sitting in the discomfort of it and all, it always passes. It always, you know, every season changes. It always comes around again. And just that why was my anchor to that. And on the other side of it, it I, I was right. It did heal parts of myself. I came out empowered and trusting in my body and just this new knowledge around it and around birth. It's it's what inspired me to become a birth and postpartum doula. It's what inspired me to want to be a part of others' journeys and to share this story, actually. Mm, wow. Yeah. So beautiful and amazing. Do you think perhaps that that was your moment of transition or... <laughs> Um, when I wanted to, no, actually it wasn't. There was going to be several hours till transition. Transition, <laughs> I was like, I was ready to get out to a transition, but I was like screaming, my ass is going to fall off. <laughs> I'm like, they're like, yep, that sounds about right. Okay. <laughs> um, that's when I was, and I was like, I was ready to get out at that point, but I was, pr I was pretty close. <laughs> Yeah. And um, touching a little bit more on fear, was there at any point, particularly in the beginning, when you started to feel the surges and you were in it, were you having flashbacks with your history? Did that surface mm -hmm. in birth? You know, it didn't ever, 
And that's why, like, after having walked through it, what happens, it's just such a different sensation. Um, it really comes in as a wave. And when I experienced it myself, it was like I could feel it coming. And in a way, I can see how that would be similar to a fainting spell because you do feel it coming. But it's just it never did prompt that same response from me and it was like okay I could feel that it's coming but it always felt manageable and a part of me rather than something that was happening to me if that makes sense like it was just mm. never yeah never scary never fearful never disconnected from me in a sense mm. Yeah, so, so amazing. And did you want to dive into the birth a little bit more? So you were in in labor for three days before you had her, is that right? So, yeah, I, I did skip on that a little bit, but <laughs> okay. I, I um, was going into labor. I was having prodromal labor um, three nights before and it was just as birth is a nocturnal activity and started to feel the surges at night. And then during the day they would let off. So that was happening for two nights of no sleep because I was waking up every, I would say every 10 minutes, I would feel a surge come on. And then during the day I would just try to rest. Um, definitely knew it was happening it was just a matter of would she make it into 2021 or was she going to be a 2020 <laughs> baby um and yeah so just those would come in and then all of the 31st new year's eve i was just going through those waves trying to rest as much as i could um and already just trying to, I wasn't necessarily feeling back labor at this point, um, but we were trying to get her into optimal positioning. So doing a lot of spinning babies and just, yeah, just trying to get that optimal positioning, which later we found out that, yeah, we could see that she was posterior based on my back labor and I, so I was laboring all, all day. And then at some point it started to get a little intense. And I was at home at this point with my family, um, which is like my mom, my sister, my brother, they all lived at the house at the same time. <laughs> it was holiday period. And um, I was just in my room in Laborland. had no idea what was going on, but like my mom kept coming up and like wanted to check my blood pressure because of <laughs> because of the my condition right so she had yeah. this blood pressure machine like let me check her blood pressure and I was like <laughs> thank god I did not hear her because I feel like that would have disrupted me a little bit <laughs> yeah <laughs> um and then my doula was supporting she came over she was supporting us at home um, the other thing is that I couldn't keep anything down. So was definitely, um, throwing up quite a bit, anything that I was trying to get down. Um, and then at some point around 11 PM, December 30th or 31st, sorry, we decided to 
go to the birth center and it was super quiet. It was just a really interesting New Year's Eve because Montreal was still in lockdown. We've been on lockdown for forever. Um, and it was so quiet and we were having this big snowfall that night and it was really beautiful and magical. And so we get to the birth center and I'm laboring in the bath, which I wouldn't say like, I'd go back now actually and put some towels down for my knees because when I got out of there four hours later, my knees were red because I was on all fours. I needed to be on all fours throughout my whole labor. I could not be, you know, on my back because of the posterior labor. I needed to have hands on my lower back at all times. And at some point it was just, yeah, it was just moving through that. And I think the tiredness helped me just get that rest in between every surge. And then I would wake up, move through it, fall asleep. And then, you know, my partner was doing the same thing. He was just in the same flow as me. We'd fall mm. asleep and then get back in. And at some point we were just like, okay, I did have a cervical check. And I think that the cervical check was really good and ha like it had a pro and a con. Um, number one, she was able to see how dilated I was. And that was actually what led me to consider going to get transferred because she was like, oh, you're four centimeters. And I was like, oh my God, this has been forever. It's going to take forever. Had I known what I know now, like four centimeters doesn't mean, you know, anything. You could mm. go from four to 10 or you can, you know, birth baby before 10 centimeters. You know, it's all relative. Mm. However, I ended up being there for several, <laughs> several more hours. Um, but it did knock me off a little bit. It did um, shake me up in terms of like, how long will I have to go through this? And that's when I couldn't see the end of the tunnel. But it also allowed us to see that her head was rotating. So she was actually working to rotate from her posterior position. So we were able to get into a more optimal positioning and to try and turn her. So I was working with her. And in this position, like I said, I couldn't be on my back. Couldn't do the peanuts side-lying because it just put too much pressure on my lower back. So the only way that I could do it was one leg standing and then the other leg on the bed in a lunge position. And I just kept moving my hips side to side and trying to, yeah, just get her into that position. Just sat, sat with that for about an hour and a half. And at one point felt this big urge to push and my husband's in back of me hands on and my waters just break all over our feet it was very theatrical <laughs> very like like a movie yeah um, and that was our champagne showers on new year's eve <laughs> it was a little different <laughs> did you feel relieved at that oh yeah that felt like quite nice I remember yeah it feels like a blur now but it was just like a big 
big sudden urge to push and then, oh, okay, something just felt like it deflated a little. <laughs> um, but I still had a few more hours to go. Uh, however, we did manage to turn her. So I think that like that pressure on the waters and that lunge position was just like, just did the trick. And she was able to get into some optimal positioning there. Um, but I did, you know, New Year's morning comes and it was just, it was just beautiful. Like that energy that you get at transition and it's, it's amazing. It's what's going to help you birth your baby. So I got this big hit of adrenaline. I look outside and I'm finally like conscious to the world around me. And there was windows all around in the birth suite. Um, and I can see outside that like, it was just three feet of fresh white snow. And it just looked like a winter wonderland. It was beautiful. Um, and the sun was just pouring into the room and it just like gave me the energy that I needed. And I was like fully there. I wasn't in labor land anymore. I was just like coming into my body, realizing, okay, I'm transitioning here. And got on all four knees and I still needed my husband above. I was on the bed, four knees. He was like over me with his hands on my lower back. I needed him. <laughs> <laughs> at every single surge and he like had the audacity to be like oh my hands are hurting a bit I was like gave him a nice little death stare um <laughs> but um he was with me for every single contraction mine he he was the best doula I could I could ask for in that time um and I was at a point that I was tired I had this new surge of adrenaline and I wanted to push my baby out. And I think that there's just this, you know, unmedicated perception and this representation of like breathing your baby out. And when I did my hypnobirthing course, I was taking one as like a client. It was really triggering for me to watch those videos. And I didn't know why, but watching them just like breathe their baby out was so triggering to me. And it's only when I saw a video online of a woman screaming her baby out and yelling and swearing that I felt okay with it. It was almost like I needed to open the spectrum for whatever may come up. Whereas like, I feel like there is a side of it that, you know, Hollywood only portrays you know, birth as scary and you're screaming at the husband and you're screaming at the doctor and all that stuff. But I just, I needed to know that there was space for all of it. And so I didn't breathe my baby out. I didn't. I actually pushed her out in 30 minutes because I had the energy to do so. I wanted her out. And I feel like you don't, people aren't, you know, they don't, I don't know if they share that, that, that easily. Like, I feel like it was like spiritually taboo of me to say, like, I, I yelled her out. I was done, you know? Yeah, and it's um, sorry. It's um, interesting that you say that because I've spoken to a few women recently that have had um, 
that have done hypnobirthing and they really channeled that in their first birth and then their second time round, they're like, no, no, I want to tap into the pain and I want to roar my baby out and um, that's what they did and felt uh, very liberated in that. And also I think um, for me personally as well, I roared through my entire labours and birth that came instinctually to me. I could not help it. (laughs) So I think that should be allowed and welcomed. (laughs) I, I love that. I love to hear that, you know, people are allowing their voice to come out in whichever form because it's primitive. It's primal. Like the sounds that you're going to make in birth are unlike any, you know, and they're uncomfortable to hear. I think like they're just, you know, they're just, they're hard to hear sometimes. And I think they awaken something when people are watching those videos. Like there's something about people breathing their baby in that triggered me in some way. And something about hearing someone scream their baby into the world that liberated me and allowed space for me to do that. And I feel like that could be a different story for whoever's listening to that, you know, Mm. but I was just like, yeah, it felt now to talk about it, like spiritually taboo. I was like, I forced it out. Like it wasn't like I was moving with my baby, you know, she was definitely crowning and ready, but I took full force. And I was like coaching myself. I was like, now this is it. You know, I birthed in the position that I wanted, but I also went for it. And I think about that and I think like, would I have changed that? And I wouldn't have changed anything about it. I I wouldn't have changed it. It was the way it needed to happen. The next time around, I'd be interested. I'd be interested in following my body's surges to push and Mm -hmm. to see what comes up with that. At that point, I was so tired. I was ready and she was out in 30 minutes. So um, yeah, it was a beautiful, beautiful experience at that point. Like that feeling of your baby coming out of you is that that's just the most relief ever. Like, I don't know if people talk about that enough, like that feeling. And then I can imagine with twins. Yeah. Honestly, I mean, I'd had the epidural with twin, with the twins, but I could um, feel them coming out. And it was freaking satisfying. Oh, it's so satisfying. Mm. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Um, Where were you when you uh, birthed her? Were you still in the bath at this point? No. So I got onto the bed and that's where I was able to have my husband on top of me pushing Uh, my back. And, you know, we have it. Our, on tape we had someone come in the nurse's assistant and which is great um and for a while which is funny talking about sound I could not watch my video back with sound on for a good month or two months like I had to sit down and be brave and be like okay are you ready to hear yourself and like <laughs> there's something about witnessing those sounds coming out of even yourself, you know, like I, I wasn't ready until I sat down and I was like, okay, let's do it. (laughs) Wow. And how did you, how did you feel after she came out? Oh my God. It was just, I, I think I was just coming down and I was just, you know, still coming back into my body at this point, but 
put her to my my body and it was that feeling that I would hold on to during my pregnancy especially towards that last month and I would just envision like her slimy vernixy body on my chest and that's the moment that I would hold on to the most and I would just like cry thinking about it and that moment was like the I could still feel her on my chest talking about it now because I held on to it so much so dearly and then right after just got onto my back and I did have um we did manage the placenta in terms of getting pitocin in the shot in, in my leg sorry um not knowing, I'll say that I didn't know that I had a choice not to. So now coming out from that, I'm seeing like, okay, again, I'd re- next time around, I probably want to birth my placenta by myself, you know? Um, and, but at the time I didn't really feel any differences. Um, she latched right away and it was just so beautiful outside like the energy in this birth center was absolutely amazing we were in a double bed and they had this like they bring us out this menu and oh sorry the first thing actually I just pushed out she's on my chest we're doing skin to skin we leave the cord attached for about 30 minutes and while they serve us this cheese platter with nuts and fruit and it was like the first thing that comes out like how amazing was that like I didn't expect that they just like bring it out and I was like oh this is this is nice and then we get in you know we get cozy um they don't rush the baby tests you know our midwife comes in and she does them and really beautifully and respectfully And they bring us this menu and they're like, okay, choose what you want to eat. And the first real meal I had was these beautiful waffles and sausages. And it was just gorgeous. Like I would do it again. And they were like, you can stay as long as you want. I was like, this is amazing. This is like a bed and breakfast for a B, B and B, like a birthing (laughs) bread and breakfast. Wow, like a true goddess, a true birthing goddess, good. (laughs) So uh, at what point did you go home? Did you end up staying there for very long? No. So we stayed one night together and then went home the next day. And so actually, yeah, this, I I forget this, but um, we we're just temporarily there. Our plan was to go back to Shanghai. We had our dog there. We had this beautiful apartment in Shanghai. We had tickets booked for the 24th of January, which was not, that was 24 days after her birth. So (laughs) I don't know what I was thinking, like looking back and now being a doula, I'm like, no, you shouldn't have been out of your house and out of your bed. But we, you know, my husband needed to get back to work and we just, that was our life there. I had been there for six years. Like I had a company there. I was doing um, grazing tables for events in Shanghai and that was my company. So I I wanted to get back to work eventually and just wasn't ready to say goodbye. Um, So 13 days postpartum, we had a small ceremony where we got married and 
we were finding out that they weren't going to give our daughter a visa to go back into China. So because of COVID. And even though I had a visa, I had a company there, my husband worked for the government, we could not get our daughter in. So at 24 days old, we, you know, said goodbye to my partner. He went back to Shanghai with the intention that we would meet him, like hopefully in a month, you know, and we're just going to see how it goes. Like we were still hopeful we would be able to get back into Shanghai and we'd just be like, we just kept getting rejected. So after five months of being separated and him finishing his contract there, we were finally reunited and he didn't see his daughter until she was six months old, um, which was, you know, thinking back on it, like, it's wild. We could never be separated again, but we just went through the motions of it. And I had the support of my family, which was really beautiful. But yeah. Wow. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. I know. How do you both, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. And um, your postpartum, what was that like your first month or so? I feel, yeah, it was, so I did have second degree tears, which was really actually really hard for me to um, heal from. I felt like that was really painful. Um, But aside from that, it was just really nurturing living with your family. Like it's, yeah, it was, I had my sister helping. She, I called her my postpartum doula. She would just like, (laughs) She was that, um, that partner support for me after my husband left. Um, and I didn't have to cook. I didn't have to do those things. So in a way I had a really beautiful postpartum setup in the sense that I had my village all in one house. Um, and I was able to just really cocoon with my baby and Aurelia and I, that's my daughter. She, we have, I just feel like we have this beautiful, special connection now that we've spent those intimate five months together. Um, Although it was really hard, it was just, you know, an interesting story, a a special story for us, but it was beautiful to be reunited after, after five months. And, you know, we just decided that it was time to pack up and it was like, okay, okay they're not opening Shanghai. They're not going to open it up for us. So we just need to be reunited. He packed up our whole apartment, brought our dog over and we waited in Montreal with my family living there, hoping to find the next opportunity. We had no idea where we'd live in the world. Like we were expat travelers where we would just like go to different places and live abroad. So we were definitely hoping to do that. The intention wasn't to stay in Canada, um, but nothing came along till about 11, I'd say about nine months later, we were with my family for nine months in this like limbo of not having like Aurelia, our small little family unit, all three of us never had our own house, our own space for, you know, the first 16 months of her life. She never had that. So it was really special when, you know, we got the job in Tasmania, my husband got it and just being able to create that for ourselves here and to just be together alone 
it was really hard to leave my family, but it's also really beautiful to start this new chapter. Yeah. Um, wow. And do you think that when the time arrives that you have another baby, would you be keen to go back to Canada to do that and be around your family again? Um, I mean, it was beautiful. I, I often go back in time to feel those feelings again because it was so special. I think I'd be keen to see how it would be as our small family unit and then allow visitors to come to us. Mm. Um, once I have that month to myself as, you know, our little family cocoon, like I feel like it's just going to get more intimate as our family grows, actually. Like it's, of course, it'd be nice to have family support in terms of like toddler help and stuff like that. But we have my husband's family from WA. So, you know, slowly I feel like they would come down and support us, but I'm definitely looking forward to have a home birth next. Yeah. Well, Natasha, thank you so much for sharing. I have loved listening along. Literally, I've hung on to every word you've said. It's been so beautiful to um, to hear about it. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. I yeah, I love to share this story just in hopes that it reaches other people who are looking for this story. And yeah. I love birth stories too. So I can't wait to tune into all the women that you have sharing their stories as well. Mm. Oh, thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Bloom Birth Stories. If you enjoyed, please subscribe and share with a friend. And if you'd like to share your story, reach out. You can find me over on Instagram at Kate Bloom Doula. See you next week, beautiful.